Today's guest on the show is Corey Clipston from Swap, uh, excuse me, SwanBitcoin.com. And um, just recently read uh, his 10 million um, Bitcoiners piece, which I want to ask him about and get everybody looking at and ask him questions around um, Taleb and uh, a few other things that uh, we've been discussing off camera. Corey, thank you very much for coming on the show. Thanks for your time. It's great to be here, Daniel, and congratulations again on launching this podcast. I think it's uh, it's a welcome addition to have someone with your background that cares about, about Bitcoin um, asking questions that you do. Thank you very much. And um, I, I guess, like, you you had experience in financial markets as well, if I've uh, looked at your LinkedIn correctly. and <laughs> uh, Interestingly, always kind of adjacent. Um, so I've never actually directly worked in finance. I long ago did high net worth private client marketing for Morgan Stanley. I worked in the financial institutions group for uh, McKinsey and Company briefly as a consultant. Um, and then I did private equity consulting for my own firm um, back from like 2006 to 2008. So here and there. And then I've been in venture capital, you know, startups for the last seven years. So kind of uh, the early stage private markets, um, you know, it's really Bitcoin that has pulled me back into uh, markets and macro and reconnecting with old friends that are traders and bankers. It's it's all through Bitcoin and because of Bitcoin that I've jumped back in and, and gotten kind of back up to speed a little bit. Are they listening to you? Uh, yeah, quite a few. I've actually red-pilled a good number of people. Um, I'm pretty good at pitching Bitcoin and I'm pretty good at being persistent with the people that I care about. Um, uh, the reason I started the company is because those things don't scale. Uh, and they're also not as effective without uh, a really good resource to point to and a really simple way to direct them to start buying. Right. Okay. So if, um, if I can ask you a few questions around uh, when, you back, when you were back um, in, in that field of finance, um, uh, I'm sure I like to join the dots of the polar opposites, really. Could you lift a little, little bit on what your job was? Uh, who, who were you working for at the time? So pre 9-11, I worked for Morgan Stanley. This was just after the merger with Dean Witter and uh, they had merged you know, the, the highest end of the Dean Witter clients and then all of the Morgan Stanley private clients into one group and you know, they were shoveling you know, whatever product they could, Morgan Stanley index funds and Van Campen, which is a random brand that they made up that is also Dean Witter. Um, at their private clients, and I was making, you know, essentially the marketing materials. So this this was a this was a very brief stop for me. This was uh, intended to be like two or three years pre business school. It ended up only being one year because uh, Tower Two, where I worked, uh, fell down, and I decided to uh, study for the GMAT and go to school right away. Were you in the tower at the time? I was. I was on the train headed downstairs. Uh, I was actually voting in the mayoral primary that morning, so I was big line at my polling place, and I was late to work. You're kidding. Mm -mm. Yeah, I mean, we were we were pretty lucky. We had like four thousand people in the building and only lost thirteen. Um, so we had, I think, floors forty through seventy, and the plane hit seventy nine through eighty four. So. Uh, and we were the second tower to get hit, so most people had evacuated already. Um, <laughs> yeah, oh, that's that's nuts. Um, sorry to hear that. Um, no, I, it's 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 fine. I mean, it's uh, it's been a long, long time. I don't think I've talked about that 
on a podcast before. It just kind of came up because you asked about Morgan Stanley specifically. Um, but uh, yeah, I think it, you know, living through that and being in New York at that time, um, you know, in the, the dot-com bust was already well underway, right? You know, the it bubble kind of popped in April of, of 2000. Um, but the hangover was really long and it didn't really uh, roll out until, um, you know, a catalyst kind of came along and, and, and really punched it through, right? <laughs> which was, which was 9-11. Um, I think there are a lot of parallels to what's going on right now. Uh, if you look at it, you know, we've got uh, an overextended market and, you know, basically a, a corporate debt bubble and an education bubble and a central bank debt bubble and, and all of this, all of this credit extended that. Yeah, exactly. So here we are now um, looking at like the financial markets melting away um, last week. And, um, you know, it uh, looks like the, the Fed are going to announce some, um, some big pushes to, to try and stop that. And I just wanted to get your thoughts around that. Yeah. So I have no idea. And anyone who tells you that they know is just lying or mistaken um, because it absolutely could be the case that we drop down to like Dow 15,000 because of some huge crash. And it absolutely could be the case that we've just entered a massive secular bull market because the millennials are the biggest cohort that's ever moved through the snake and their peak spending is going to be in 2038. <laughs> I don't know which one of those is going to be true. And it's also true that we've never seen uh, a full on commitment by the entire global um, you know, government and banking system to print money. Like nobody is opposing that force and there's no way out of this ridiculous credit bubble that we have other than to print tons and tons and tons and tons of money so we don't know like we don't know what's going to happen you make a great point and i've been thinking about that i couldn't put my thing, my finger on it, it just does seem like a really easy way for like global um governments around the globe to collude on this thing and like you know like coronavirus is like yes, this is going to be huge and let's all use this as an excuse to like, you know, print more cash and you know, hold up the uh, stock markets. Yeah, yeah, I think that's right. I mean, I, I think um, there have been, you know, already, I think it's three. I listen to Macro Voices, <laughs> that podcast, and the guy they always have on there to talk about the euro dollar says there have already been essentially three crises averted with the euro dollar, starting with the, the the GFC in, in 08. And this is the fourth one, basically. And there's always an excuse. There's always some reason that they back up the truck and, and print all the new dollars. Uh, so yes, we're in the process of backing up the truck. And it's very possible that this will be the, uh, the greatest, largest financial stimulus in global history. It's probably inevitable that it will be. Good God. And then where does that take us? I mean, how many excuses do you, can you keep drumming up? So then let, let's talk about Bitcoin. What, what, um, what got you down that rabbit hole? What, what, you know, what was the journey? Well, I, uh, I've always been a bit dissatisfied with the way that things are and the way that things work. And I thought that there should be changes and I think in you know in like a lot of people in early life you're trying to like change the system or look for ways to 
change it. And then as you get older and you are able to step outside the system, you realize how messed up aspects of the system itself are. Uh, and then, you know, Bitcoin is just such an incredible tool to fix, you know, a good chunk of what's wrong in society. And I think it will also just because it's, it's a protocol through which we can communicate price, which is the most important, the most important thing that we can communicate as humans. You know, if there was one message, one message type that you were going to let through a communications protocol that was going to do the most for global society, it would be price. Um, and so I'm just really interested to see what happens when we, well, this is, this is all safety and stuff, right? Like once you have the Bitcoin standard, we can't even begin to forecast uh, the type of innovation and the type of improvements that will occur and that will accrue to us as humans once we have that, that level trusted playing field, that protocol in place. Nobody planned the internet. You know, nobody planned what it was going to become, but you create the protocol and then you let human innovation and human motivations take over and amazing things happen. Like Bitcoin. Yeah. I wonder, do you think, would the government uh, have uh, regulated the internet, like retros retrospectively thinking now, if they, if they could turn back time? I mean, they created it. So no, I mean, I, they're trying to regulate aspects of it. But, you know, I think humans do yearn to be free mm -hmm. and they get confused sometimes. But, you know, I think, I think there's a reason that the U.S. is the most powerful country. And, you know, it's, a, it's, it's partially due to the protocol that we set up with the Declaration of Independence and, you know, in, in the Constitution and the amendments that we've made. And, and it remains... A protocol that generally works it's rule of law it's you know honoring contracts it's you know federalism where we you know have the, the the different state experiments going on and some of that has been eroded but it's still working generally better than anywhere else to create wealth and you know surplus basically um and it's the reason that this remains the country that you know more people want to move to around the world um because there is a lot of opportunity here now I'm also a big fan of looking at things through a geopolitics lens and, you know, geography, demography, whatever. And it is true that the U.S. just has massive advantages based on, you know, having oceans on both sides and friendly neighbors to the north and the south that don't have anywhere near the resources or the wealth or the population. So we don't have to deal with things that a lot of other people do around the world. Um, we also have, um, this is not all credit. This is like uh, Stratford, George Friedman, Peter Zion stuff, but you know, we have like 13,000 miles of rivers that empty into the Mississippi that all can take a shipping container on a boat for those 13,000 miles. I think the rest of the planet has 12,000 miles. <laughs> so there's just like, and it's, it's 2.5% the cost to transport something by water versus over land. So like that alone just means that the U.S. was going to win, you know, versus the USSR or something. Yeah. Like it, it, the one factor explains literally everything. It's just we have this incredible river system. That's, yeah, that's a massive truth bomb. I've never even thought about that. So, so we've got to take advantage of this and make sure, we've got to take advantage of this and make sure that, uh, you know, Bitcoin... Uh, becomes the thing that Americans care about. And this leads nicely into your, your, your piece, 10 million Bitcoiners. Can you tell us a little bit about um, 
you know, what, what uh, drove you to write that and, you know, what the piece is about? Yeah, well, if it's not obvious based on the name of the company and how often I talk about it, you know, my favorite philosopher is uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb, author of The Incerto, which is, uh, you know, Fooled by Randomness, Black Swan, Bed of Procrustes, Anti-Fragile, and um, Skin in the Game. He's got a new one coming out soon. Um, and he talks about a concept that he didn't invent, but he certainly has helped to popularize called the intransigent minority. And basically this is that a population will flip to doing something a certain way uh, based on the desires of an intransigent minority. And, and basically in complex systems, this only needs to be like three or 4% of the population. And a really popular example of this would be like, um, you know, um, meat in restaurants in London is all halal uh, or kosher. And it's basically the same thing. So, and, and basically it's, it's people who eat kosher uh, will not eat non-kosher meat. And so if you ever wanted to serve those people, you know, they would make a stink about it. They would require like a second menu item for all the things that you serve and you'd have all these sourcing issues. And it's just way easier just to, to make all the meat kosher or halal. Um, so similarly, you know, if we can get a vocal minority of Bitcoiners, and I'm very focused on the United States because it is, you know, it underpins the dollar system, which the whole world runs on. And it is definitely, you know, the global hegemon and looks like it will be for the foreseeable future. It's very important that we within the U.S., have a lot of vocal Bitcoiners with resources, with uh, skin in the game, uh, with a desire to see the Bitcoin experiment happen uh, unimpeded uh, so that we can ward off attempts by the US government to do anything that would hinder Bitcoin. And now I'm not saying at all, and I touched on this in the piece and I talked about it on multiple other podcasts, it still wouldn't kill Bitcoin. And in fact, it may be something, as we've often talked about, you know, the game theory of what happens if one government, you know, bans Bitcoin. And I think Parker Lewis did this in uh, the ninth one of his series gradually, then suddenly, um, basically, like other governments that love Bitcoin and want to use Bitcoin will, will win. They'll just bring all the entrepreneurs and, and all the Bitcoin to their jurisdiction. So there's jurisdictional competition. But the U.S. is a little bit of a different animal because the U.S. controls so much of the globe and can hand out aid and controls most of the international bodies. And what you really do not want to see, you know, if you want to see Bitcoin or hyper-Bitcoinization or Bitcoinization or whatever happen, you know, in our lifetimes, you really don't want to see a concerted effort by the United States government um, contra Bitcoin. It could get really ugly, you know, maybe it doesn't kill Bitcoin and you can't kill Bitcoin, but it could push this thing off, you know, 20, 30, 40 years or something like that, or keep the price super low, or at the very least make it very difficult for, you know, me and my kids to enjoy a bright orange future. And so I want to make sure that that future happens uh, sooner and with a higher degree of certainty. And how did you get to number 10 million? If you, if you wouldn't mind explaining to the listeners. Um, yeah. So there's uh, like 325 million people in the US. And so it's just, you know, 3% of that is 10 mil. And where do we currently stand? I think we're at about 100,000. Right. Yeah. So I think we need about 100x adoption increase in the US 
to get, and this is for people that actually own a decent chunk of Bitcoin. And in the piece, I, I, I just mentioned, you know, at least 2,500 bucks worth and, uh, and actually care about it and would, you know, vote a certain way or maybe, you know, sign a petition or something. Should, should that be required? Be able to explain it a little bit to a friend, that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that does take time, right? It seems to be like these steps um, that everybody seems to go through. You, you, first of all, you, you hear about it. And then, well, how did you hear about it? Like, you know, what was the first flag? Yeah, so I, I, I went back and checked and I had it in my Gmail inbox in 2012. So that was probably the first time. Um, didn't do anything about it. Didn't read whatever came across my radar. Uh, then somebody gave me some Bitcoin at a tech conference. I downloaded a blockchain wallet and quickly got, you know, my $50 of Bitcoin in January 29th of 2014. Uh, proceeded to not read the white paper, not go down the rabbit hole and lose the private keys. Um, I was super, super busy as a co-founder of an ad tech company at the time. And then in, I went to a holiday party at a friend's place up in Santa Barbara in December of 2015. And he was like, trying to sell off uh, half of a series LLC where he'd packaged a bunch of uh, startup stakes uh, where he had, you know, either invested or advised in some of these companies. And I agreed to, uh, you know, take some of the proceeds of that to package up his materials and make them much better at, at selling what he wanted to sell. And uh, so I ended up creating slides for 21E6, which was Balaji's, you know, Bitcoin mining and appliances type company before it became earn.com and started shilling shit coins on Coinbase. Mm. Um, and then it also had Ripple. He had early, early Ripple shells, er, Ripple, <laughs> Ripple shells, Ripple shares, I should say, although <laughs> mostly people shill Ripple. Um, <laughs> Ripple shells. So uh, that didn't take either. It was just not enough Bitcoin reading about 2026 and ripple it just didn't uh, didn't make the case and it didn't take again and uh it wasn't until the price action of uh, of spring 2017 um yeah. that caught my attention and, and it caught the attention of you know my network and i got the social signals from people i knew in silicon valley and in new york that were starting to look at it and people quitting jobs and joining icos and stuff like that and that's that's when i got started and luckily uh you know one of the first people that i reached out to uh insisted that I start by reading Digital Gold, which was fantastic and really explained Bitcoin and, and was written so well because um, it was, you know, Nathaniel Popper who appears to be kind of confused about what Bitcoin is now, but at least for describing what it was in 2014, I think he did a, a great job and that book still stands the, the test of time. Um, sometimes good books happen to bad reporters. <laughs> <laughs> Was it, was the first step speculation? Uh, I bought some initially. Yeah. So I, I bought, you know, I think $3,000 Bitcoin um, that summer, which is great. Still have it. Um, and then I got uh, confused like a lot of people. What do they call it? The, uh, the altcoin horseshoe or the Bitcoin horseshoe, depending on how you look at it. But you start with Bitcoin and then you you know, you see so many smart people, the Fred Wilsons and the, you know, everyone from Andreessen and all these people that you respect from startup land who've, who are so much more right than you are about SaaS startups and marketplaces and social networks and network effects and all these things that I just take as gospel. And they're telling you that, you know, Facebook might be coming for MySpace. 
you know, and there's all these other cool things that the technology does. And, you know, especially in 2017, it was just so noisy. And, uh, you know, so I, I went down the, uh, the altcoin rabbit hole and wasted. <laughs> it's not waste because you like, if you don't know, you don't know. Right. And I, I can't, you can't find, you can't find the, the bright orange, uh, in the pile. Uh, if you don't go through that at some point. Um, so it took me, took me about nine or 10 months to get all the way through it. And then I was, uh, just pretty much all Bitcoin by like March or April of 2018. Um, so I quit my job by the end of August that year and, uh, basically just started looking for what I could do to work in Bitcoin full time beginning in September of 18, had the idea for this company in April of 2019 and uh, recruited a team by the end of that month. And we've been kind of cranking for uh, the last 10 months or so. And let's talk about that. Let's talk about um, like what, what you're trying to achieve with, with Swan and you know, the, because it's, it's not, it's not speculative anymore, right? Like you, you, you're so far down the rabbit hole. You, you, you understand it. Like, well, you use the right word right there. So I often say one's propensity to store value in the Bitcoin protocol is directly correlated to their understanding of Bitcoin. So knowledge and understanding and imparting that to someone, that is all the marketing that Bitcoin needs. Bitcoin does sell itself, but only if someone actually understands Bitcoin. So our job, like we don't have a marketing team, we just have an education team. Mm -hmm. And our job is just to educate about Bitcoin and then have Bitcoin for sale. And then we do it two ways. You can buy Bitcoin for yourself, uh, which is Swan, or you can buy Bitcoin for somebody else, which is bundled with a really good education. And that's give Bitcoin, which we've been live with since before the holidays. Okay. So, so let's, let's, let's concentrate on Swan. Uh, yeah. explain, to, uh, explain to the listeners what, what what swan is and and how yeah. they can uh, use it and what your, yeah. what your goal is you know start with why i guess uh yeah sure so so swanbitcoin.com uh will be live here with transactions in a couple weeks um for residents of 49 states in the u.s uh no new york because we still have to go get the bit license uh, and basically it's just a super simple, easy way to set up automatic recurring purchases from your bank account. So every, you can set it for weekly or, you know, twice a month. So first and 15th, like a paycheck or once a month. And you set how much dollar, what's the dollar value that you want to purchase each time. So it's a dollar cost average platform. Um, that's how we're launching. We will also, uh, you know, in short order after that, we'll launch uh, one-time purchases TBD, whether we'll allow people to purchase one time through us, I think you will probably, you'll probably only be available to people that are on the recurring purchase. We really want to instill that behavior uh, in people and, and have people think about transferring and storing value over time in Bitcoin. You know, I think the, the three pillars of savings that everybody should think about now is like, you've got retirement, you know, 401k or IRAs, you've got, you know, equity in your home. And what's, what's interesting about both of those is both of those are basically automatic payments. You pay them every month. You know, it's taken automatically out of your, your paycheck for 401k and you know, you've got to make your mortgage payment or you don't get to keep the house. And it's the same thing with Bitcoin. The best way that, that humans 
safe is when it's automated and you don't think about it. You just set it and forget it. And that, and you never see that money hit your bank account. It's just in Bitcoin now. And do people have control over their keys and how does that side of things work? Yeah. So, uh, like every exchange in the U S you're regulated. So it's initially purchased into custody, but a few days later you will, um, be able to sweep to whatever address or XPUB that you want to. Uh, and then we're also setting up automated uh, withdrawals, which will be based on hitting a certain amount that you will select. So basically you can set it. So uh, if you hit, you can set it to automatically withdraw to given your instructions to your address or your multi-sig vault at Unchained or whatever uh, at like 0.01 Bitcoin, 0.02, 0.05, 0 0.1. Um, and it'll automatically withdraw. Very cool. Uh, do, do you have like um, any insight as to like the age demographic that's going to be using this or any clues or you're just going to launch and listen to the market? Both. Yeah. I mean, we, we definitely have our guesses, but then we'll also launch and listen to the market. Um, I think, uh, you know, I think there's cases to made, be made for both. So, you know, boomers have the most money, um, but Bitcoin is a generational thing. And obviously, you know, kids that are millennials and younger, <laughs> millennials are almost 40 now. So millennials and Gen Z and whatever's after that, let's hope it ends up being called Generation B is coming after Gen Z. Um, <laughs> that would be excellent. <laughs> there's a good chance that it's true, you know? I think, I think it's a very good chance that it ends up being true. If you, if you think of Gen Z as being, you know, people born in 2000 to 2018, I think that, you know, people born in 2019 and later are, are being launched into a, a world where Bitcoin is prevalent and exists, especially by the time they hit, you know, earning years, it'll be everywhere. I think we'll be pricing everything globally in sats by 2035. Yeah. And I mean, I, I have kids and you mentioned you got kids. How are you going about educating them about Bitcoin? Because, you know, it's, it's tough, right? No one wants to listen to dad, but. No, it's fine. Like my, my five-year-old can spell it that's all I care about. it doesn't matter yeah she's not she's not required to do anything else i'm gonna buy her a lot of swan plushies over time she's gonna end up with a, a day bed covered in swans <laughs> so you mentioned um taleb and that's why you've named it swan um is there anything that you want to say about um to, to people coming into to the space like anything that you've learned from him that can overlap to bitcoin and um help them try and understand and so Avoid some of the mistakes that we've made. Well, listen, I, I think it's, uh, it's a life not fully lived. If you are alive today and you haven't read, um, you know, you, you can probably skip the one of just maxims and musings, but you know, that's the better procrustes, but got to read full by randomness, the black swan, anti-fragile and skin in the game. Uh, and I, I think that is just kind of, you know, something that should be assigned reading for Bitcoiners, just like you should, you know, you don't have to go super deep in Hayek and, and some of the Austrians, but uh, uh, it certainly helps. Uh, I think it's, it's such a great philosophical underpinning for what Bitcoin does. Uh, I don't think it's a mistake that Safe reached out to him and, and got him to write the foreword for the Bitcoin standard. You know, he's just uh, an incredible thinker and Bitcoin is anti-fragile, which, you know, everybody talks about. And, you know, I, I find Bitcoiners that I disagree with vehemently on 
all kinds of issues, but we all agree on Taleb. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to add my reading then. And, you know, like the, the, the social side of things, the social impact, and I really don't think um, that many people really grasp that. Is there anything that you could talk to around that, that aspect of, of Bitcoin and what it could you, you know, what it's going to mean for humanity? Yeah, I mean, honestly, I will just be paraphrasing a lot of what's been said by others here. But, you know, for your audience that may not have touched on it yet, and a lot of this is Bitcoin standard. A lot of this is writings of uh, Pierre Richard and, and uh, Bitstein out of Nakamoto Institute. Um, but basically this idea that if you create a, uh, a protocol through which, you know, the whole globe can communicate price with no, with no noise and no interference, uh, essentially what can be built on top of that and the type of interactions and the type of innovation that will be unlocked by having, you know, the Bitcoin standard or the Bitcoin protocol in wide use. Um, and this doesn't even mean like everybody interacting with the Bitcoin protocol. It'll be enough that people are able to communicate the price of goods and services locally and globally in their local currency and in Bitcoin. So if you can, you know, price your services in, you know, Thai bot and maybe dollars as well and sats, uh, that'll really be enough to, to, to benefit from that protocol and, and being able to, you know, take payment and, and that'll all be masked and abstracted away. But as long as you can price it in sats, this even doesn't have to be done at the individual level. It's just service providers are going to come in and make it super easy to display with no knowledge on your side as the one providing the service to anyone around the globe, um, that price so that somebody can pay in Bitcoin should they so choose. And they may even just be paying in fiat, but it'll be automatically trans, you know, changed instantly into Bitcoin by by whatever Square Crypto is doing or or whoever else, and you know, any of these lightning companies, and and then transferred into the local currency. But the fact that it's priced in Sats is key. Mm. We need that unit of account where everybody's speaking the same language, and that is the Sat. I mean, the Satoshi for those that aren't. Well, yeah. Could you explain exactly what you mean by that? What is a oh, set? yeah, yeah. It's just each each Bitcoin, the twenty one million Bitcoins of which there will never be more, is uh, goes to eight decimals. So there's a hundred million, and that that tiny unit is called a satoshi. So right now there's about a hundred satoshis per penny, uh, about ten thousand satoshis per dollar, uh, two point one quadrillion satoshis total, and there shall never be any more. Um, so that's that's enough for about two hundred and seventy thousand satoshis per human on the planet. <laughs> if you don't hear that, it's just like what? <laughs> yeah. So like so like go grab a bitcoin, and uh, you'll if you have one bitcoin, you will forever and ever be in the ninety nine point nine percentile, no matter what, of bitcoin ownership. And to get back to Swan. And to, to, to make sure like we fully make sure people understand exactly what you're trying to achieve in helping people to get that one Bitcoin through, um, you know, you, you hear this acronym thrown around DCA, dollar cost averaging. Can you explain to yeah. exactly what that means? Yeah, I mean, dollar cost averaging really simply just means that when the price is lower, you're buying more. And when the price is higher, you're buying less. So it essentially like lets you buy the dips no matter what. So thinking about it as an investment strategy, that's one way. Uh, I actually don't think that's the primary value prop of 
a product like this, the real value is the automated withdrawal from your bank account. That's what's hard for people to do. Um, because honestly, like I personally, you know, I, I stack this way, but it's, it's not because of the investment benefits of dollar cost averaging. It's actually just for the enforced habit of putting money into the Bitcoin protocol. Um, with an upward, you know, with volatility skewed upward, on average, you're better off, you know, if you, if you had 100 grand sitting on the side, you wouldn't wire it to an exchange and have them dole it out for you in Bitcoin because it has upward volatility. Like throw the whole 100 grand into Bitcoin if that's what you're going to do, just buy it now because chances are it's going to go up. Um, so it's really more about the combination of the, the bank withdrawal and the automated purchase of Bitcoin. Without that, it's not really useful. So, so, so Gemini does it right. Coinbase does it right. Kraken does it wrong. Bull Bitcoin does it wrong. Uh, Amber does it right. Uh, BitDroplet does it wrong. So these are just some of the people that have DCA. And if you force somebody to like wire money first and then say, I'm going to dole this out for you, mm-hmm. I don't think that actually solves a problem, which is why none of those have really taken off. Now, I actually want I actually want all of them to succeed because there's so much like how many gold merchants are there? So when I say this, it's not because I'm saying even like we're better, like we're going to be what we're going to be. I think we're going to be better and we're going to try really hard to be by far the best. Our goal is to be the most recommendable service for Bitcoin. So whereas if you go to Coinbase.com on a laptop, the 14th action you can take as you go from the top of the page and go down, the 14th action is, you know, buy Bitcoin regularly. They're trying to convince you to like, you know, take this little course and earn some stellar lumens or, you know, buy Bitcoin or Ethereum or Bcash or whatever else they have for sale. Like there's all these other things that they have distracting you from the only thing you really should be doing. Right. So us just being focused on Bitcoin education, anyone who really does understand Bitcoin and knows what it's for, uh, you know, recommending something to someone they want to get into Bitcoin, knowing that our site is laden with really good Bitcoin education by top Bitcoin minds and that the only thing for sale is Bitcoin and that the only way to set it up is the best way that you can buy Bitcoin. Like that's what it is. I actually think this is the best. I think this is the best service that's ever existed because I think Bitcoin is the best product that's ever existed. Literally it's take crappy money and exchange it for really good money. Nothing better than that ever. And then second, you know, the best way to store value over time that is totally aligned with the way that humans actually save is to make it automatic and just consistent over time. So if you combine those two things and you make it that simple and the the surface area of the product is so small, that's all you should be doing. We're just uniquely focused on just that. And And the education. Educating about Bitcoin and marketing the living shit out of this. So the education, the education yeah. arm of, of like sort of Bitcoin. How, how are you? Is there a, like you're going to push out like a, an article a week or something? Is that is that like another thing that um, you're layering on top, or is it just up to people? Yeah. So so we are. So we are we are doing that, but um, we're also. So what we've done is we've actually given up a good chunk of the equity of the company to. Uh, most of the top Bitcoin authors and podcast hosts. <laughs> so, so we're kind of, we're, owned, we're, we're actually partially owned by a lot of the top minds and the top thinkers in Bitcoin. So, you know, we're, we're 
about halfway through writing a book called The Gift of Bitcoin, which is um, basically 12 chapters. Uh, and this is the education that gets doled out to the people who receive a gift through Give Bitcoin. Um, so that product basically is you you enter somebody's email address and you want to give them a, a present for their bar mitzvah or Christmas or their your employee or your brother and you just want to try to red pill them and you know you don't want to spend 18 months talking about Bitcoin with them but you want them to own some Bitcoin and you know you want them to you know you want them to have a, like a fair shot at going down the rabbit hole. Well, outsource that to us. Uh, we put the Bitcoin in their account um, at a custodian. It's it's locked up it's escrowed for a year so they can't touch it. They can't trade it. They can't sell it for ripple. And, uh, they're opted in automatically over the next 12 months, once a month, they're going to get another chapter of the gift of Bitcoin for free. Um, so they can read that book in a serial fashion. They can also read ahead. So if they, you know, if something in chapter two catches their eye and they're like, Oh my God, this is it. I totally get it. And, and they charge through, they can read the rest of the book. Once we finish it, we're still working on it. Um, but we also have, you know, our, our CTO um, and my co-founder is Jan Pritzker, who's the author of Inventing Bitcoin, um, which is a great introductory book. Um, you know, I, I don't know if there's a better reco than that, other than that when Dan Tapiero went on an Asia business trip um, all through China and Southeast Asia earlier this year, he brought a suitcase full of uh, copies of Jan's book and left them on everybody's desk. Um, so I think that's a good endorsement for, for Jan's book. Um, but you know, obviously, you know, safety and the Bitcoin standard is one of our advisors and we've interviewed him multiple times and feeding a lot of his thought into the education. Um, you know, we're going to be distributing his research reports, um, over time to, to people in our, in our email list, things like that. Um, Stefan Levera has been incredibly helpful to us. He's been interviewed him multiple times and he actually like uh, scans the, the chapters and makes comments and adds things into the chapters of the book. Uh, Andy Edstrom's a big investor for us. He wrote Why Buy Bitcoin? Um, so that's been really good to have him involved. Um, so yeah, I mean, we don't, we don't hold ourselves up to be the authority, but uh, you know, we're probably what you know, Nakamoto.com ought to have been instead of like a shitcoin fiesta, you know, if it really was going to be about Bitcoin knowledge, you know, and I don't know if we can actually, somebody probably has to steal uh, Trace Mayer's podcast title now, because, you know, it should be Bitcoin confusion or, you know, something oh, else. Man, you want to go down uh, that hole? <laughs> like, nah, I don't. I don't. I really don't. Like, I, I listen, I like, I like people when they were, doing the best that they could for Bitcoin, you know, like Roger Ver did amazing things for Bitcoin. Like who else was there for free sitting next to Carpellis, like trying to keep the wheels on working like 22 hour days and evangelizing Bitcoin all over the world for whatever his reasons were. Yeah, sure. He's confused now and whatever, but you know, th there's always a path to redemption. It's just like people with big egos usually don't take it. <laughs> you know you you come hat in hand and you apologize and you're like i was on the wrong side of that one um i think you can kind of redeem yourself i i, I mean every bitcoiner i know loves wences and they were you know on the on the wrong side of history with new york agreement and nobody bids him any ill will because he's an amazing bitcoiner he was patient zero in the u.s for bitcoin and uh and he was contrite and you know came out and said yeah i was on the wrong side of that one shit you know that's amazing um you know you can you can definitely redeem yourself you know 
I'm embarrassed that I spent as much time shitcoining as I did. Like, how did I, how did I do that for like seven months or eight months or whatever it was, you know, but you, you can definitely make up for it by, uh, by getting after it and, and understanding Bitcoin and, and trying to make it win. And it's one, it's a real big trapdoor, isn't it? For people like you, you said, you know, what Coinbase is one of the first places people go to. It's like the most downloaded app probably. Mm -hmm. And it's a, it's a trap. Like, um, what, what, what can you say to people that are coming in about the, the shit coins? Um, they might not have even heard that term. Like, you know, what, what I don't know. I mean, it, it doesn't, <sighs> you can't, you can't win literally everybody. We just want most people. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we're going after, we're going after pre-coiners. If, if you use uh, Bitstein's categories, you know, there's Bitcoiners, there's pre-coiners and there's no coiners. No coiners are the ones that actually have come and like come and seen and either gotten confused or for, you know, selfish reasons, like, you know, wanting to correct, collect two and 20 fees on a crypto fund or, you know, big interests in a gold company or something like that are going to slag on Bitcoin, you know, essentially just for their own ends. Um, because they're profit interested and it's really hard to make money working on Bitcoin. So most people get super interested in Bitcoin and the only way, if they come from finance in particular or venture, the only way to make money is to shill the other things. And then they hire all these junior staff and then the junior staff, you know, look at everything, come across their desk and then they learn about Bitcoin and then they become maximalists and then they quit their crypto funds. It's one of the funniest things, like probably the three best known uh, crypto funds in the space, the junior staff at all three of them is like almost uniformly uh, maximalists. <laughs> they had a front row seat, right? Yeah, so they're just like constantly just, you know, they have to churn through those people because you, you get into the space if you're looking at it every day and you look at these altcoin founders and their, you know, their token distribution, like you have half a brain and you learn about Bitcoin, like you're out. <laughs> Yeah, you just so, yeah, we actually are just, um, we'll be announcing here in the next few days that we're um, adding a, a, a former teammate of one of those funds will be the, uh, he'll have the title investor for Bitcoin or ventures, which is another thing that I started. Um, so that's a, that's a, like an early stage venture fund for Bitcoin startups and the partners are me. Jan, obviously, and uh, Stefan Lavera and Stephen Cole, who's an ex-Googler who runs the Orange County Bitcoin Meetup. So the four of us are the partners in Bitcoin Ventures. Check out bitcoinerventures.com. Um, we're going to start making investments out of an Angelus syndicate. So you can just enter your email address if you're interested in being part of that syndicate and just kind of normal Angelus style. Um, and yeah, one of these uh, one of these altcoin fund refugees uh, is a super maximalist and is going to be doing like the legwork of evaluating deals and coordinating with the other uh, funds like Folger Ventures and Digital Garage and some of these people that are cutting checks into Bitcoin companies. That's very cool. And you mentioned AngelList then. So that means that um, you know, any, any of us can get involved and back some of these companies rather than being an yeah. investor, which I think not many people really understand like the, the difference. Yeah. I've, I've got to dig into it and see exactly what the qualifications are for, for AngelList that you definitely have to qualify for, for some things, but I think the bar is low. And this is Naval's company. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Right. Yep. So he has AngelList and CoinList and 
uh, product hunt under that umbrella, I believe. Right. Okay. And because um, Naval was one of the early ones uh, that I listened to his um, podcast interview with Nick Sabo. Um, and on- Tim Ferriss. Yeah. Yeah. Two hours and 37 minutes, if I recall. Yeah. Of heaven, I think. It's yeah. just the best. I love that. Yeah. The, the, I, I'm a huge Naval fan. And uh, yeah, he, he can tweet as many one-liners on Twitter as he wants to. It's fine. It's great. It's good, dude. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Yeah. Really unbelievable. Uh, I I usually, as a funny aside, I usually, uh, you know, try to like beg my way into conferences for free by promising favors and stuff. But um, there was a a conference here in LA, uh, it was like late 2018. And the headline convo was uh, Naval interviewing Taleb. Yeah, I watched that. And like, I didn't, I didn't do my usual, you know, I didn't, I didn't like, oh, so I'm in the front row. You can see me in that video. (laughs) People have sent that to me a bunch of times. uh, it's actually funny because Andy Edstrom, who I didn't know, is in the video. And uh, I think Ragnar, who's one of our advisors now, um, I think is in that video as well. Um, so, yeah, it's like packed with all the Southern California Bitcoiners in the first few rows. Um, but, yeah, just I was so excited about that one. I, I didn't even bother to like try to beg, borrow and steal a ticket. I just bought the VIP level so I could go backstage and meet them and sit in the front row. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. That is yeah. awesome. Well done. I actually, uh, I swag bombed um, a signed copy of my book to, uh, to Naval and nice. uh, it hit his desk and he DM'd me straight back and said, thank you so much. I'm looking into this and thinking more about traveling with my, my young family. So I hope it, I hope it helped. Um, but I don't know. I was just trying to figure out a way to say thank you for like, you know, the, the, the goodness he puts out that just the way he can straighten your thinking out it is unbelievable. I don't think there's anyone else like him. Yeah. He's in that, you know, if he wrote books, he would write like Taleb. And if Taleb wrote tweets more, he does tweet. But if he wrote tweets like that, you know, it, it would be like Naval. They're they're very similar people. So, uh, Naval is way nicer. Taleb just doesn't suffer fools at all. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I know you might have answered this question already, but like I always ask at the end of the podcast, if there's one person that uh, you would love to... Um, come out and talk more about Bitcoin that, that would help adoption, that would help people understand, that would help people, you know, see the, you know, the forest through the trees and understand, you know, this is a way for me to opt out. And this is a way for me to, you know, take back a little bit of control over my finances. Who would you want that person to be and why? Hmm. Yeah, I haven't actually thought about that one. I'd probably have to kick out a few candidates um, and just, uh, you know, and, and so the bar for this would be someone who actually like understands Bitcoin, who is, you know, like probably you are and I am totally comfortable recommending it as investment advice. <laughs> so that would be kind of the bar. You know, you understand it, you're capable of talking about it, you know, in interviews and, and, and kind of getting over that bump. Um, and then let's also kind of maybe constrain it by people who are, you know, maybe realistic candidates. Um, so I think. You know, I think right now, um, certainly it feels like the most important Bitcoiner in the world is Jack Dorsey. Mm -hmm. I think he's the most important person who understands Bitcoin. Um, So we'd be talking about, you know, someone at that level or higher uh, who could have an effect on Bitcoin. Um, 
man, he, he, he's a good soldier. Like I, I don't like square is going to be launching DCA and I totally, I'm here for it, man. I, I hope they get all the cash app people doing it and you know, we'll, we'll, there's plenty to eat again. There's, I don't know how many gold merchants there are out there and how many people selling stocks, but there's going to be plenty of people selling Bitcoin and we're just one of them. I love Jack. Um, I think, uh, sound ventures with, uh, you know, how well known, uh, Ashton Kutcher is and his massive Twitter following, and, you know, everybody kind of knows that, you know, the guy that played the dumb guy on the TV show actually has a super high IQ and he's kind of pretty well respected and for his investment taste. So Sound Ventures has made a couple of investments in Bitcoin companies. I think if he got really vocal, like if he got over the bar where he stopped listening to his friends at Andreessen and getting confused about crypto and like went full Bitcoiner and then got really public about it, I think that could be really huge. Um, I think... Uh, you know, somebody really well placed in a Wall Street firm or in the hedge fund world. I mean, we're kind of getting there with Raul Pal. Um, you know, he's still a little bit sidetracked by, um, you know, tokenize all the things and there might be something interesting in these other cryptos or whatever it is. But, you know, if he keeps on progressing and, you know, lays his ego aside a little bit and doesn't just listen to social signals and kind of goes from first principles and actually take, it's so hard to take the time and set it aside when you're busy running a business and like real vision is awesome and has all these other concerns outside of Bitcoin. But if you can ever take the time to actually go from first principles and look at the Austrianness of it all and, and really think about this as a network protocol and like, and even just make the economic judgment, which is, you know, it's not a moral judgment. It's not about purity. Those are actually just factors that lead into you know, Bitcoin likely dominating. I just make the economic argument. It's like Bitcoin's upside, you know, where it will likely get to is two orders of magnitude higher than all of the rest of today's coins combined. Now that doesn't mean that Bitcoin dominance will be 99%, you know, in the future, because there will always be another batch of altcoins and another batch of charlatans and professor coins and you know phd tokens and lawyers and bankers and salespeople and conference promoters that want to make money through bitcoin affinity marketing um whether it's a pure scam like trace mayor's mimble wimble coin or whether it's like a very complex um you know dressed up noisy well-funded misguided project like ethereum you know, it, it, at the end of the day, you know, Bitcoin will be, there's just this economic argument that the upside for Bitcoin, because it is money, it is not tech, it is money supported by technology, it is money enhanced by technology, it is money that was birthed through technology, but it's money now. And so the upside for money is like 370 trillion. <laughs> just global store of value. <laughs> You know, and so let's say we say like fall way, way short of that. You know, I'd say lower bound is probably like 2x gold and upper bound is like global store of value in 2020 dollars, let alone what 2020 dollars will be worth by the time you get to that. You know, we could be looking at like a quadrillion by the time it hits that. Do you think we're ready for like this hyper Bitcoinization event to happen? Is, is everything set in place for like the next what, like 10 million? You said you need 10 million Bitcoin as a US. Are we ready? No, it, it has to, like, I mean, what I, what I hear secondhand, because I'm not personally, like, close friends with any core developers, so I, I get this through other people that talk to them a lot. Um, but, you know, basically they're, they're comfortable with the protocol storing a good bit more value than it does today. 
but uh, you know, they'd like to have a lot of other things done and a lot more stress testing and, you know, some other things done with, you know, process and, and, uh, and just firming things up before we got to like a million dollars a coin. So no, they don't, they don't want, they don't want hyper Bitcoinization to happen like tomorrow, mm. but uh, they, they feel like it's well in hand that the advancements that they're making and the speed of development is on path to be able to store that type of value, you know, let's say in the next cycle. So totally fine to go up to like 300 K this cycle, crash back down and then go up like way over a million in the whatever, 2024, 25 cycle. <laughs> this is, this is back to back podcasts now that the million dollar number has been thrown out there. I don't know if you listen to JP Barrick. Um, he's talking about, I haven't gotten to that part. I've listened to about the first 20 minutes or so. It's freaking little genius. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> what was I doing when I was 14? It wasn't that. <laughs> yeah. you know, I, was, I was super excited that on uh, AOL Instant Message, I could like uh, chat with girls from other high schools. I was like yeah. out, outside the bounds of my own high school. This is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not that much, right? So gold is at like, you know, nine, nine to 10 trillion market cap, like Bitcoin's at least twice as good as gold. That's like no question. Um, so that's 20 trillion we'll have, you know, 20 million coins issued. So million dollars a coin, not that big a deal. It's just still so, um, incredible. And, uh, I hope anyone listening really just does start understanding like you know what what it is uh i'm gonna shill a uh a mega bull uh bitcoin tina on twitter i just did a four-part series with ck christian mm-hmm. krolis from uh from btc media um so find one of those guys on twitter and see that but they did it in a really interesting way uh it's actually edited to be basically a a, a tina monologue so there's almost no CK in it and they cut almost all the questions out and then separated it and just kind of made it this just, you know, four hour, four part download of knowledge from this experienced traders brain. It's, it's a really fun yeah, way I, to spend half a weekend or something. I second that. I second that. I've listened to it and um, yeah, Bitcoin Tina. Uh, I've listened to a few of his other um, episodes as well. And I, it's so it's i think we need people to hear it come from somebody that is you know of a generation of his age right i don't know his exact age um but definitely older than you and i um you know yeah you know as we're the generation stuck in the middle i feel um like it's like you know the boomers generally aren't paying attention the millennials are like all over it and you and i like we're sitting here trying to like figure it all out and like you know can, can we get left and right to meet together and this is what we were talking about as well so this is your left and right thing um what, what were we talking about earlier before we started well, I, uh, listen you know the the cypherpunks that uh created digital cash and bitcoin you know i'm pretty sure they're all gen xers <laughs> <laughs> so you know maybe not the greatest generation maybe not the biggest generation but very possible the most important one ever Wow. So did you want to talk about your left to right spectrum? Uh, no, because I'm just kind of like fleshing it out. But yeah, I'll, I'll write a piece okay. here soon. Probably, probably my second one will be, uh, I'll just preview it. You're a new podcast. And I don't think anybody's going to steal my idea. Um, 
but yeah, it's basically, it's going to be called, uh, you know, something like, you know, Bitcoin, Bitcoin is the biggest tent politics has ever seen. And, uh, essentially, you know, if you're going to just encapsulate it in two graphics, one would be the spectrum showing left and right, you know, on a line. And then the second graphic would bend that and show you that as you go further left and further right, you end up, uh, just meeting and it's a circle and you meet at Bitcoin because Bitcoin is for everyone, because money is for everyone. And Bitcoin lets you, you know, a, a, a protocol that lets you communicate just price freely and openly with anyone on the globe makes it, you know, totally unimportant whether you agree with, you know, the Burmese government right now or, or whether you're pissed at, you know, the, the government policy of, of the U.S., you know, drone strikes or something like that you know you're just going to be going peer-to-peer individual to individual not having to deal with their banking system not having to deal with you know the tariffs and the taxes and a bunch of this other stuff and and this is way off right because at this point you know bitcoin has to you know essentially disrupt a lot of how things work today um but it probably will chip away at it and at some point you know it may become a delusion we'll just get way more free um but yeah, I think it is a big tent. I mean, I, I've, I, because it's the issue that Bitcoiners care about more than any other, right? It's usually Bitcoin is first on their list. Uh, you find yourself, you know, grabbing lunch with a group of, you know, eight or 10 Bitcoiners and it's by far the most diverse group of people you'll have lunch with because there'll be hardcore lefty human rights people and that just think bitcoin is this freedom thing and then there'll be like hardcore you know second amendment rights gun people (laughs) that think the gun you know somebody's coming for their guns but everybody agrees on bitcoin and so it kind of becomes you know it's like it's like being uh you know i don't know it's like sharing sharing some history or sharing some culture like you've got bitcoin in common so it now lets you talk civilly about everything else you know and I, i actually think this is why uh I think Bitcoin is the reason that someone like Peter McCormick has like a really good shot at becoming like a new Joe Rogan Mm. because of the, the diversity of the audience that you can pull in with, you know, Bitcoin at at the core of it. Right. Yeah. I've got to diversify my, uh, my my targets. (laughs) I mean, I, I run a lot of, I'm pretty active on telegram and run a bunch of different telegram groups like, uh, Children of the corn is for a lot of the top traders and hedge fund people that trade Bitcoin. There's like uh, Bitcoin and geopolitics where we all just kind of like talk about politics and macro and coronavirus and stuff like that. And like, it's fascinating because you'll have, you know, Chinese people and Taiwanese people and people from Hong Kong and people from America that think they know China and, you know, kind of hashing it out. But there's like just enough of uh, civility because of the shared love of Bitcoin that it makes these conversations much more fruitful. And, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's like, uh, there's a protocol for having those conversations about other issues um, because you share a desire to see Bitcoin happen and you see it working for your ends, whatever your ends are, it's gonna make, you know, most things better. Bitcoin fixes this. Yeah, certainly, it certainly does. Well, Corey, thank you so much for your time, your, your insights and, and your knowledge. It's been, um, it's been a, great, a great interview. Um, I wish you all the best with everything you're doing at SWAN. Uh, I think um, it's going to be awesome. I'd love to 
you know, let us know when you it's successful in the US and, and you go global. That's uh, yeah. clearly like. Yeah, I mean, the, you know, I will say on the back end for us, um, you know, we can actually be live tomorrow in 140 countries in every major currency. So really all it is for us is just the regulatory review and licensing country by country. Um, so we're actually going to be starting that later this year. We just want to get it launched and get the kinks out and we'll start, you know, all the English speaking countries, you know, Canada, UK, Australia, New Zealand, you know, we're in anywhere that we think would have enough of an English language audience initially. Um, and then when we're really comfortable that, you know, the product is pretty static and taking on other languages wouldn't be a problem. You know, I, I think it does make sense to extend this brand uh, internationally. Yeah, totally, 100%. Like you said, you know, Bitcoin's for everybody and um, it, it crosses all boundaries. Yep, and Bitcoin is the, uh, the biggest positive black swan in, uh, in our lifetimes. Yeah, what a way to leave it. I mean, I, yeah, there's, no, there's nothing more to say after that. Is there anybody, anybody that um, you, you needed to thank or shill or where, how can people find you? Yeah, sure. So uh, Swan Bitcoin on Twitter. Um, and, you know, just I think my, my team, my teammates are just doing such an incredible job. Um, Citizen Bitcoin, uh, Brady Swenson is uh, our head of education and he's just been incredible. I'm thrilled to have him on team. Obviously, Jan, uh, who's SKWP on Twitter. Uh, so follow him and definitely pick up his book and, you know, just, uh, we're working hard. We're real Bitcoiners. Our, our mission statements, not bullshit. I think it comes through when people talk to me and, you know, get to know me and listen to podcasts and stuff like this. Like it's real, <laughs> you know, I, there's, there's a huge opportunity cost, you know, for me and my family to work on this versus, you know, just working for Google or McKenzie or, you know, something else, um, which I, uh, used to do. Um, I just, I couldn't imagine working on anything else other than this. Yeah. No, I, I, yeah. Echo the sentiments. Um, and, uh, yeah, all the best. And, and thanks again for your time and, um, everybody go find Corey, reach out and, um, start, uh, following. Yeah. Oh, can I say one more thing? Please do. Please um, do. so the Swan is actually like a character that has his own voice and, uh, and will talk to you. And so you can, tweet at the swan swanbitcoin.com like the swan has the handle you can email the swan any question at the swan at swanbitcoin.com you can even text any question to the swan at uh 650-BTC-2107 hmm. <laughs> um which i think is 282 so 650-282-2107 in the u.s so plus one country code and uh and the swan will answer any bitcoin related question uh, we follow the hashtag, uh, hashtag ask swan. So you can also just tag ask swan if there's ever anything that you want to know about Bitcoin and either we'll answer it or we'll get a Bitcoin expert to answer it or we'll look up the answer. Um, so we are your, you know, your Bitcoin resource for anything you want to talk about. This was kind of inspired by another podcaster, John Vallis with rapid fire, who, uh, often says that he, uh, he started a podcast because he was in Thailand and didn't have anybody to talk to about Bitcoin. So we want to make sure that you always have uh, someone to talk to about Bitcoin. Uh, we fielded a lot of text messages on Saturday night. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just Saturday night Bitcoining, but uh, yeah, we probably had like 20 people pinging us on the, on the text message, just wanting to 
comment on Bitcoin or talk about Bitcoin. And, you know, so we, you know, the swan, which is, you know, whoever picks up the ticket in Zendesk is, uh, is answering those. And you're talking to like me, Brady and Jan. That's awesome. That's like, you know, move aside Siri, right? This is, this is you, you are the Siri of the Bitcoin world. Yeah. We're, we're your Bitcoin friend. Everybody needs a Bitcoin wingman. You know, whenever you need to talk Bitcoin, we're here for you. And anything, right? Down to like the most basic question up to the most like ridiculous. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, we'll, we'll, cool. talk, we'll talk Taproot and Schnorr and, and we'll also talk about like how to red pill your grandma. <laughs> <laughs> that is great. Oh, yeah. I'm going to go do that. I'm going to go uh, play around with that. That's awesome. All right. Sounds good. We'll, really we'll appreciate see. your time. And uh, Listen, swim into our DMs. That's what we say. Swim into <laughs> DMs. Love it. All right, Craig. Thank you very much. Um, have a great week. Thanks. Thanks for your time. All right. Thank you, Daniel. Well, listeners, I uh, hope you're still with us. I'm sure you are after uh, listening to um, to that podcast with Corey and getting his insights into uh, Bitcoin and his thoughts around, um, you know, where this is where this is headed and you know where he sees this playing out for for humanity. And that's what I got from Corey. Like, you know, he he cares so deeply about uh, educating people around Bitcoin and uh, and trying to help them take control over their finances, and that—that's what Give Bitcoin and Swan is all about. Um, you know, Swan is a, go check it out if you're in the US, and let's hope it gets rolled out globally as soon as possible. But that's going to be the best way for you to just set it and forget it, and it's going to be Bitcoin only. There's not going to be any of these other coins that you might get tempted into uh, into using. Corey understands that this is where it is. It's Bitcoin. And he's going to do his absolute damnedest and build more companies, I'm sure. I'm sure he doesn't want to stop here. In fact, at the end there, he, he talked about investing in uh, the new hottest Bitcoin companies that are going to start coming into, um, coming into the startup world. And he wants to be there to help them and to guide them and to get them the investment that they need and get them aligned with the people that, that are going to be in, in place to help them grow and this is exactly what he wants and like you said as well you know it's a it's a big um it's a big ask it's a big you know this is a family decision uh, you know he like you said he could be working at google or mckinsey and in decent cash i'm sure but he would rather be doing something that he's passionate about and something that he knows is going to make a difference and he wants to help people understand like this is this is it. <laughs> if you want financial freedom, if you want to take uh, care of um, your family in the future and have that store of wealth and that store of value, and you know, gain financial freedom over um, over the next ten to twenty years, he wants to be there to to make sure 
he is one of those people driving that forward and, and helping people understand. And we, we got to chatting after the podcast. We, we spent many, uh, well, about an hour after the podcast just talking through life, talking through things. And, um, yeah, he's a special guy. Really, really, really happy that uh, he, he came on the show and shared all of his insights. And, yeah, watch this space. Watch Swan. Go check out Swan and ask them anything. Like DM them. I tried it out. I DM them. Uh, I swam into the uh, the Swans DM and asked them how to red pull my grandma, and uh, <laughs> I got an answer straight back. So go go ask them anything about Bitcoin, whether it's funny or whether it's something you actually want to uh, learn about. They're there. They're committed to education, and they want to help you guys out. Thanks for listening. Share. The show, that's about the only thing you can do right now to help uh, support the show and the guests is just share it out, um, tell uh, tell people about it. Uh, find me on um, Twitter at Princey1976 and uh, go uh, find find Corey at Corey Clipston or go find Swan uh, at Swan Bitcoin. Thanks for listening and, um, yeah, have a great uh, morning, afternoon, evening or night, wherever you are. Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.